You're listening to teaching from Midtown Fellowship, a Jesus-centered family on mission in Columbia, South Carolina. If you're interested in finding out more about us, our family of churches, or how to partner with us, go to MidtownColumbia.com. Bible, Ephesians chapter 6, that's where we'll be getting started uh, today. Looks like we have some visitors with us. Wanted to extend a special welcome to you. We're very glad that you're here, that you chose to come and worship with us uh, today. Um, if I haven't had the chance to meet you, I'm Ant. I get to serve as pastor here at Midtown Two Notch. And again, just very glad that you chose to come and worship with us today. We've been working through a sermon series that we're calling Warriors. We've been talking about fighting the good fight of faith as followers of Jesus. We're about halfway through this sermon series where we've been digging into it. We haven't used the phrase a whole lot, but we've been talking about this concept of spiritual warfare, that much of the Christian faith, much of the Christian walk is a fight, that it was never intended to be easy, that we were never promised that it would be painless, that there would never be struggle, but what we are, we are in is a fight. I'm not sure what comes to your mind when you hear the term spiritual Warfare. I think oftentimes we don't approach it in a, in a biblical and in a balanced way. I'll try to tell you what I mean when I say that. Let's start with Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11. Verse 11 reads, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. First off, to, to be able to understand spiritual warfare from a biblical point of view, you have to first be able to acknowledge and accept the fact that the devil is real. He is active. There, there are demonic forces at work that he leads. This, this is not some myth that has been made up. This is real. Jesus says he is real. Jesus encounter, encounters Satan's and demons in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We see him there in Genesis, as early as Genesis chapter 3. We also see him losing and being defeated in the book of Revelation. So from cover to cover in the Bible, he is present, he is active. Ultimately, he does not win, but we need to acknowledge and understand his schemes as Paul describes his activity. Let's continue on, verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, flesh, flesh and blood excuse me, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. I believe some of us have church backgrounds, Christian backgrounds, where Satan, demonic forces, evil spiritual forces are brought up all the time and consistently talked about. And some of us come from backgrounds where that's not something that's not talked about a whole lot. Maybe it makes us uncomfortable. Maybe there are a variety of reasons. Regardless... As Christians, if we're going to be biblical, we have to understand who he is, what his schemes are, what his plan is, and how do we wage war against him. Now, to explain spiritual warfare in, in a balanced way, there are two different types of power that I want to try to describe to you to, to talk about the way that Satan works. The first one is what we generally think of when we think of power, and that's what we'll call hard power. Hard power is when you try to use force, when you, when you try to threaten, maybe you, you coerce and you, you use maybe military strength. Again, maybe it's just a threat to get someone to do what you want them to do. Or more specifically, get a group of people, a country, a nation, a kingdom to do what you want them to do. That would be hard power when you're trying to force them through your might to do what it is that you want them to do. That stands in opposition to what we call soft power. Wikipedia calls, says soft power is the ability to attract rather than coerce, 
rather than threaten, rather than force. It's the ability to attract. It's the ability to shape the preferences of others through appeal and attraction. The ability to shape the preferences of others through appeal and attraction. Soft power is gained through influence. It is the implanting of ideas into people's minds in such a way that it changes their preferences and actions. It's when you can win people over to your culture and your way of thinking through your influence over them. Some of you, you've seen this before. You've been in an argument with somebody. You disagree with them. And the only argument that they have is, well, this is what I was always taught. Well, what, the way I was raised is blank. And they have no other reason for believing what they believe or saying what they're saying. It's just this is what has been taught to them. There is no one forcing them to live this way, but someone intentionally influenced them to believe this and behave in the ways that they behave. That's soft power. Soft power is not all bad. Hard power is not all bad. It's sometimes you do need to use force to get people to do what they need to do. I think about it oftentimes in terms of, in, in terms of parenting. So for me right now, with my boys, they're about six years old. I still have some amount of hard power that I can use. Like, no, I told you to do this. This is what you are going to do. This is not open for discussion, right? At some point, I'm not going to have that anymore. But I still want to be able to influence them. I, I need to be able to, to gain their trust. I need to, to, to be able to shape the way that they think, hopefully to guide them in the right direction. That would be more so along the lines of soft power. Biblically, which form of power does Satan use the most? Rhetorical question. Which form of power does Satan use the most? This is, this is important if we're going to have a balanced understanding of what spiritual warfare actually is. Do we see him more using hard power or do we see him more using soft power? When he comes at Eve, he doesn't come with a stick. He comes with an idea, right? He doesn't come and try to flex and use his might to make Eve do what she doesn't want to do. No, no, he, he tempts her. He gets her to desire what he wants her to desire. He gets her to believe what he wants her to believe, and that's how he gets her to fall. When he comes at Jesus in, in the desert, when Jesus is fasting, does he come and try to use his might to get Jesus to do what he wants him to do? No, no, no. He comes with a suggestion. He comes with, with, with an appeal to Jesus as, as Jesus is hungry, and he tries to tempt him with food. Temptation is soft power, not hard power. Temptation is, is only power when it is given over. When power, temptation only works when power is given over to the tempter. Satan primarily uses soft power. And in a culture where many don't even believe that he exists, I would argue that's the smartest way for him to do it. If you can wreak havoc and still live in the shadows and not have anybody even know that you are there and that you are wreaking havoc, why would you use hard power? Why would you try to physically manifest yourself or, or, or maybe possess someone in such a way that reveals that you're there when you can lurk in the shadows and wreak all the havoc that you want? Many people ask the question, well, well, why don't we see that more, the more hard power, even though we do see it in the scriptures at times. We do see people who are oppressed or possessed by demonic forces and that type of thing. I believe in this culture, in this day and age, it is easier him to wreak havoc and do his work from the shadows using soft power, using temptation. Let's look at John chapter 8, verse 44. John 8, 44. This is Jesus talking to some of the leaders of his day who were in opposition to him and weren't accepting the truth that he was giving them. 
John 8, 44. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. So that word will there refers to what you want to do. It refers to your desires, what you love, what you delight in. He's saying that they're following Satan because they have a desire to, to uh, act upon his desires. They have a desire to do what he desires them to do. He didn't say you're of your father, the devil, and he is making you do this. He said it is your will to follow him, to follow his desires. Keep reading in verse 44. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Satan tells lies to convince and persuade us that his ways are better than God's ways. Any belief that you have that goes against what the Bible says, what the Word of God says, what God himself says is rooted in a satanic lie. Any belief that you have that is counter, that goes against the Scriptures, the Word of God is satanic. This is how he works. Jesus says you are the father, he's the father of lies. This is his native tongue. This is how he speaks. He uses half-truths, or sometimes he uses full-blown lies. It's usually, as far as I can tell, a little bit more subtle. Right? He goes to Jesus in, in the wilderness, quoting scriptures to Jesus, taking them out of context to mean something that they actually don't mean. But he tries to twist the truth. I said, I think in the first week of this series, he weaponizes ideas and uses those ideas to cause destruction as he opposes God and the kingdom of God. He weaponizes ideas. I want to make a big statement here. Every sin you've ever committed began with believing a lie. Every sin you have ever committed began with you believing a lie. Let's go a little bit deeper. Any way anybody has ever wronged you or wronged anyone else began with them believing a lie. Soft power is extremely dangerous because it, it flies under the radar. You don't even see it coming. Oftentimes, we don't even realize what we are believing, especially if we're not spending our time immersing ourselves in the Word of God as Christians. And so he gets his lies into us and gets us to do what he desires us to do using soft power. Let's go back to Ephesians chapter 6. I'll, I'll pick back up at 11. We're going to go all the way through verse 14. At this point, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. He doesn't just say stand against the power of the devil, his schemes. He is planning. He is plotting. Verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Here's the solution. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm and notice the first piece of armor that he tells the people of God to put on. Stand therefore fastened, fastened on the belt of truth or having fastened on the belt of truth. I feel like that's surprising. Initially, I was like, okay, the first piece of armor he's going to talk about is the sword, right? We start with the sword, maybe the shield. After that, he starts with the belt of truth. In the way Roman soldiers at that time would have put on their armor, most likely they would have put on the belt first. The belt is what would hold the rest of the garment together so that the, the other pieces of armor could fit on. The belt is what held the sword in place. He's starting with, no, we need to start with the truth. Start with the truth as it holds the sword 
in place. The belt, it, it wasn't a small strap of leather like we have today. It was this thick, heavy band made of leather and metal. If you're going to wage war in this battle, you better be rooted on rock-solid truth. Real truth that withstands the test of time. You better be rooted in truth. We have the word of God. He has given us his truth. You can trust it. You can cling to his promises. That's, that's important for you to know. Because one day you're going to be reading through the Bible. or Someone's going to be preaching the Bible to you. And there's going to be something in the Bible that you don't like. There's going to be something in the Bible that goes against what you've been taught. There's going to be something in the Bible that goes against every single desire that you have, and you're going to have to make a decision. Are you going to continue in faith knowing that the Bible is rock-solid truth and bend and shape your life to that truth, or are you going to try to bend and shape the Bible to fit your preferences? Paul starts with the belt of truth. What is true? We have to begin with being rooted in the truth of his word. We're going to have those moments, and our spiritual maturity is going to, going to depend on whether or not we remember that his word is truth. you got to be rooted in truth because these days people will hit you with that. Well, that's your truth if that works for you, but that's not my truth. I think it was one of my aunts that used to say, a lie don't care who tell it. Right? right? right. If it's a lie, it's a lie, and if it's the truth, then it's the truth. There's no such thing as, well, that's the truth for you, but that's not a truth for me. If, is it truth or is it not truth? you got to understand this is very important because the enemy would love to wreak havoc in, in, a, in a society and in a culture that believes, well, I can, I can decide on what's true based on how I'm feeling today or based on what my preferences are. He can wreak havoc in that culture. He fuels off of confusion and a lack of understanding of what is actually true. So if you live in this, there's no real objective truth, and your truth is your truth, and my truth and my truth. This is breeding ground for the enemy's activity to be at work in us. Far too often, if we're honest, and this is how I believe he gets us most of the time, we don't want the truth. We don't like the truth. The truth might mean we have to change in ways that we don't want to change. The truth might mean the person that rebuked me last week is actually right, and I need to listen to them and pursue repentance. Oftentimes, we don't want the truth, so we try to twist the truth. Let me tell you my favorite way we twist the truth today. This is my favorite. Sarcasm. Well, that's not my interpretation of the Bible. Well, that's not my interpretation. Hear me on this. i got to make a disclaimer. There are times that we can disagree on what the Bible says, and there's times when the Bible is extremely clear on what it is saying. There are times when it is extremely clear. And so what happens is we don't want to submit to the Bible, but we don't want to admit that we don't want to submit to the Bible. So we just say, well, that's not my interpretation. That's your interpretation. Again, there's times that we can disagree. There are times that we can disagree. But we need to be honest, seek the Lord, seek the Holy Spirit. God, help me to see, am I trying to, am I, is, is my flesh my desire to not live in the truth causing me to want to twist the word of God to fit me? Is my interpretation being driven by my preferences and my desires? Or am I seeking to align my preferences and my desires with the actual interpretation of Scripture? We must seek the Lord on this. Because the enemy at times has deceived us, caused us to be in denial of our own hearts and what we're actually desiring. So how do we fight? 
against the enemy. He lies. He deceives us. What are, what are things that we can do to actually fight against him? How do we fight and arm ourselves with the belt of truth? 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 and 5. This is one of my favorite passages in the Bible. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 and 5. I'll start at verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not wage war according to the flesh. Verse 4, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. He's saying our fight isn't primarily physical, right? The weapons that we use have divine, have the power of God to destroy these strongholds. Now, in a physical battle, a stronghold is like a fortress, right? It's a place that, that some military or some, some kingdom has that is very secure, would be very hard for you to penetrate, very hard for you to defeat them at that stronghold. Like this, this is their place. They are holding their ground at the stronghold. That's in a physical battle. In a spiritual battle, when, when you talk about Satan and his, his forces and demonic forces, it is a place where it feels like we can't win, where it looks like we can't, there, there's no, no fruit is going to be born or come to bear in this place, it's maybe it's a place of habitual sin in our lives. The thing that just seems to continue to keep coming up in my life, in your life, this will be a stronghold. A place where the enemy just seems to be in control. A place where it seems like there's no way to, to hinder or slow down what he is doing. But here Paul is saying the weapons that we fight with, they're not physical weapons. We have something better than physical weapons. He's saying we have weapons that have the divine power of God to be able to, to destroy the strongholds that Satan has. That's what Paul is saying, that we have weapons that are powerful enough to destroy those strongholds. I don't know about you. I'm looking at that. I'm like, okay, well, that's what I need because I got area in my, areas in my life that I, I've started to feel like, I don't know, can I ever grow in this area? This has been going on for at least a decade and a half now. Is there any time, any way that I can grow? And Paul is saying, I, we got weapons that have divine power to destroy strongholds. I'm like, Paul, tell me what these weapons are. Listen to what it is. It might shock you. Verse 5. We destroy arguments in every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. He said we destroy arguments. I don't know if you noticed this or not, but he just equated strongholds with arguments. The Greek word for argument there is, I, I can't pronounce it perfectly, logismos, I believe is how you say it, can be translated reasoning, judgment, or decision. He's saying if we want to destroy the arguments, I mean, destroy the strongholds that the enemy has taken root in or has taken, taken captivity or taken us captive in these strongholds, He's saying we need to, through the power of the Holy Spirit, destroy every argument, every reasoning, every opinion, every judgment that is against the knowledge of God as we find it in his word. He says destroy it. Don't embrace it. Don't play with it. Don't tolerate it. Destroy it through the power of the Holy Spirit. I hope you love the people in your life enough to, through the power of the Holy Spirit, seek to destroy the lies from the enemy that they are believing. I hope you love them enough to maybe pull them to the side, to maybe make that phone call, to maybe have a one-on-one -on -one meeting with them, to let them know about the lies that you see that they are believing so that you two together through the power of the Holy Spirit can seek to destroy those opinions and those false beliefs and that, that false way of thinking that they have embraced. Crazy thing about this for me is he's not saying just go tell them that what they're doing is wrong. He's saying destroy the argument, the belief system, the ideology, the, the worldview that they have. 
That's where the fight is, is actually to take place. Hear me on this. A lot of times we see people sinning in a specific way, and we want to deal with what we see on the surface and not the lie that they're believing that's underneath it that's actually leading to the sin that you're seeing. So this takes patience. See, this is not just you come in with, with a magic word for them and just you tell them, well, they shouldn't be doing this, and they know better, and now they need to change what they're doing and do this. No, 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 no. He's saying destroy the argument. Destroy the, the, the logic that's behind it. I find it to be helpful to ask questions. What do you think you're getting out of this? When you're saying this, what, what do you think you're actually gaining? What are, what are you after? What are you searching for when you sin in this way? How do you think it's going to make you feel when you do this? What do you feel you'll be missing out on if you let this thing go? What are you trying to gain through holding on to this? Then I try to take it, take it a step further. What are you not believing about God that's actually true? What about God are you actually doubting that's getting you to sin in this way? When, Adam went to, I mean, when Satan went to Eve in the garden, he made her believe that God's love wasn't actually legit. Oh, the only reason God doesn't want you to eat from this fruit is because he knows if you do, then you're going to be like him. So he's withholding all this good stuff from you because he doesn't want you to be like him. Questioning the very love of God questioning God's intentions in their life, even though he had provided for them more than they could have ever needed, even though he made a home for them, gave them authority in the earth, he questioned God's love, which led them to sin. What about God are you not believing? It's one of the best questions I believe we can ask each other as we seek to destroy the arguments of the enemy. I hope we're brave enough to have those conversations with each other. I also hope we're humble enough and strong enough to receive those conversations when people bring those to us, right? I hope, we're, I hope that you are humble enough that when a brother or sister in the faith who is filled with the Holy Spirit and comes to you and saying, hey, this is an area of, of repeated sin in your life, we want to destroy whatever lie it is that you're believing. Let's walk through the scriptures together. You humble enough to receive that? You have the strength, the humility to continue on in this process? Do you have the humility to invite people to have that type of conversation with you? Do the people that know you best, do they feel invited to, to, to speak into your life in ways that you might not like, in ways that you might not agree with? If we are afraid to invite people to confront us, to correct us, we have completely rejected the belt of truth. We have not fastened it. We have loosened it. We, we don't want the belt of truth because we've grown accustomed to the lies. We've grown accustomed to the strongholds. We feel safe and comfortable in the stronghold of the enemy. And so when people come to us with the truth to try to actually set us free, we treat them like they're the enemy because we've actually befriended the stronghold of the enemy. And so now we treat those who actually love us as if they are the enemy. Be careful. He is sneaky. He will feed you lies. He will use soft power to have you embrace your own destruction, just like he did Eve in the garden. I hope you don't come up with weak excuses to not come and hear God's word proclaimed at services like this one. As a means of fighting against the lies that the enemy tells us. 
I hope you, 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 you have an eagerness to yourself about receiving, whether it's through the song, through the scripture reading, through, through the preaching of God's word, the truth that he is seeking to give us to set us free from the lies and the strongholds that we often have been taken captive in. I hope you're vigilant to take every thought captive to make it obey Christ, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians. Because here's the reality. If you don't take your thoughts captive, they will take you captive. If you do not take your thoughts captive, they will take you captive. Either a stronghold gets destroyed or you get destroyed. Either you, take, either you capture your thoughts or your thoughts capture you. Either your thoughts submit to Christ or your thoughts submit to the enemy. This is war. This is how it works. This is how war works. It's destroy or be destroyed. There are no other options. There are no other choices. The lies of the enemy enslave. They enslave. Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, Paul says it like this. See to it that no one takes you captive. See to it that no one takes you captive. He, ex- he explains how the people of God can be taken captive. By philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. When we are deceived based on man-made philosophies, Man-made opinions, worldviews, or maybe some that are contrived by evil spirits. He says those things take us captive. Those things enslave us. Paul says when we don't align our thoughts and our beliefs with Christ, those thoughts will take us captive. I want to try to expose what that looks like a little bit. There are different lies that we oftentimes believe. Sometimes lies about God. Sometimes it's lies about us. One lie that is very common, I think all of us might struggle with from time to time, is the lie that God is not trustworthy, that God can't really be trusted. That when, when, when situations arise in our life and we don't know what the future is going to be like, or maybe the future for us seems to be in a direction that we didn't expect it to be or we didn't want it to be, then we become overwhelmed. Come overwhelmed with fear, overwhelmed with worry, overwhelmed with anxiety. That started with the lie that you don't believe that God is trustworthy. The enemy gave you the lie that God is not trustworthy. That's the lie. The bondage and the stronghold is the overwhelming, crippling fear and worrying that we find ourselves in as a result. That's the stronghold. That's the slavery. That's the bondage. It started with believing a lie. And we need to wear the belt of truth. Another lie that we believe, for some of us in the room who deal with so much shame, God can't actually make me clean. God can't really make me clean. God can't really forgive every sin that I've committed. I've sinned too much. People in this room haven't sinned the way that I have sinned. I I sin in a different way from everybody else. My sin is so much worse that God can't actually forgive me. That's the lie. We believe this lie, and then we get on this, uh, this, this rat race of trying to do enough to earn God's favor and earn God's love, to try to do enough to try to be the good enough Christian so that now God will like us and now God will love us. Or maybe we go the opposite direction. We, don't, we, we just give up. Maybe we just give up. We say, I can never live up to his standard. I can never do everything he's called me to do. So now I'm just going to give up. I might as well just do whatever I want to do at this point since I can't measure up. And it all is rooted in the fact that we have believed the lie that God can't make us clean. And the unending striving to try to earn God's love, to try to earn God's favor, that's the stronghold. It's a stronghold in our lives. And we feel that that bondage. We feel like we're not able to stop. We need the belt of truth to combat the lies. Another lie that we believe 
God has forsaken me. Times get tough. Times get painful. We lose someone or something that was extremely dear to us. We're not in the place in life where we thought we would be right now. We're not in the place of life where we want to be right now. We're extremely disappointed. You've been praying. You've been doing everything that the preacher has been standing up here on Sunday morning telling you to do, but you're not getting out of life what you want. You begin to believe that maybe God isn't hearing my prayers. Maybe God has forsaken me. I've been crying out to you, God, and I don't have what I've been wanting. And the lie that God has forsaken us has led to this crippling loneliness in your life. Now, I'm not talking about the loneliness of I, I, I wanted to spend some time with people, but nobody was available, so now I'm by myself at, at this point in time when I want to be with other people. That's not the type of loneliness that I'm talking about. I'm talking about the type of loneliness that's almost crippling, that's, that's debilitating, that makes you begin to doubt things about yourself because you've come to believe that God himself has forsaken you. That's the stronghold. That's the slavery. That's the bondage that we oftentimes find ourselves in. Another lie that we believe. You can't change. You've been like this all your life. This is your personality. You've been dealing with this for all this time. There's no way you can change. You might as well just give up. You might as well just give up fighting. You haven't seen God produce fruit in this area of your life ever. Why are you going to continue to pray about this? Why are you going to continue to fight about this? We begin to wallow in this self-doubt. Then we begin to justify our wrongdoing. So now we can't change, so we might as well just try to, to justify it and come up with reasons why it's okay that I do this. I've always had these anger issues. Or I'll, I'll always be like that. I've always been a gossip. That's just my personality. The lie that we believe is that we won't change. And the hopelessness that leads to this apathy that we have, that's the stronghold. That's the slavery. Another lie that we believe. I'm better than everybody else. Let me take it to the other side of the spectrum. I'm better than everybody else. You know what will make everything better? If people just acted the way I did. If people just love God the way that I love God, how many times have you compared where someone else is spiritually to where you are right now instead of comparing them to Jesus? Like you the standard. Like you the standard of righteousness. So you compare people to yourself. I don't see how they keep doing this. I, I don't do this. This doesn't make sense to me why they would do this. And so we get arrogant. We get puffed up. We're not even able to love people the way that they are anymore. Because all we do is sit here and look down on them because they they're not where you are in this specific area of your life. The lie that we believe is that we're better than everyone else. The, the inability to truly love people for where they are, that's a stronghold. That's bondage. That's bondage. It's, and it's a sneaky type of bondage because here's the crazy thing about pride and arrogance is it takes your strength and uses it to fuel your weakness. It takes your strength, and now you see the strength that you have and how you may be more mature in this specific area than other people, and then it uses that to cause you to look down on other people. It uses your strength to fuel your weakness and immaturity. That's the lie that we believe is that we're better than everyone else. The bondage is our inability to actually love people as they are because we're so arrogant. These lies strong, they're powerful, they cause destruction. It's not hard power, but soft power is extremely effective. It's extremely powerful. They're sneaky. They work their way into our minds. They enslave us. They take us captive when we believe them. But the same God that set the captives free in Egypt in the Exodus is the same God who lives today and is still setting captives free 
praise his name. John chapter 8, one read verse 34. Jesus answered them. This is the same people he was talking to earlier when he told them that they're of, the fa- they're of their father, the devil. John 8, 34. Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Now, everyone in, everyone in this room, everyone in this earth, other than God himself, has practiced sin and thus has been enslaved to sin. But check out what he says two verses prior in verse 32. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And some of y'all been in church long enough to know what John chapter 14, verse 6 says. I am the way, the and the life. He tells them that the truth will set them free. And then a few chapters later, he tells them, but I am the truth. He's saying, if you actually want to be set free, you need to know me. Everybody has been enslaved to sin because we've all sinned. The only way to be set free is to know the truth. And then Jesus says, I am the truth. You want to know how to fasten the belt of truth? Know Jesus. If you want to know how to fasten the belt of truth, know him, follow him, walk with him, spend time with him, appreciate him, love him, respect and honor him, consider and meditate on his love and his compassion and his mercy and his grace and his righteousness, his faithfulness and his honesty, his nearness to us. If you want to fasten the belt of truth, you got to know him. Know the one that allowed himself to be chained and bound so that we could be set free from the chains and the bondage that we put ourselves in. Know the one that died like a slave so that we can live as free women and free men in him. He died in bondage so that we can live in freedom. And when you notice yourself starting to believe the lies of the enemy, you got to remember the truth. you got to remember Jesus. When you find yourself thinking that God isn't trustworthy, remember Jesus. Remember the faithfulness of God that he came and died for us. He gave his life for us. There is no one more trustworthy. There is no one more trustworthy than he is. When you start to feel like God can't really make me clean, he can't really forgive me, he can't really wash away all of my sin, remember what he said in 2 Corinthians. That he who knew no sin became sin for you that you might become the very righteousness of God. When you find yourself in times of suffering, believing that God has forsaken you, remember that when he was dying on the cross, he could have called a legion of angels to get him off the cross, but he didn't abandon you in his worst day. You know he's not going to abandon you on your worst day. We don't allow our suffering to tell us who God is. We allow God's suffering to tell us who God is, and we know that he will not leave us and he will not forsake us. When you find yourself believing that you can't change, that this is just how I've always been, there's no way that I could be any different, this is my personality, this is just the way that I am, there's no hope for me walking in victory, remember Jesus. The one the Apostle Paul wrote about, Romans chapter 6, verse 4. He says, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Paul says that just like our Savior died and rose with new life, those of, us who, those of us who are followers of Jesus in him, because the same power of the resurrection is in us via the Holy Spirit, can also walk in newness of life because he has set us free. He says, you need to know the truth. I'm talking about the person, Jesus Christ. I'm not saying you need to know a few verses so you can quote them in case somebody asks you. But I'm saying you need to know him, walk with him, be with him, spend time with him. You need to know him if you're going to wear the belt of truth and be able to stand firm against the schemes of the enemy. We need to know the truth. Remember Jesus died for our sin 
He didn't deserve the judgment and the wrath that we did, but he took it on himself that we might be clean and acceptable to him. A large part of the reason that we take communion every Sunday is because we got to remember the truth. We got to remember what Jesus has done. We put it in front of ourselves over and over and over again because the enemy is going to continue to feed us lies over and over and over again. We're going to every week, pretty much that we're here, we're going to keep going to the table of communion and reminding ourselves this is who truth is. This is what truth is. He died for me. He was raised on the third day. He ascended to heaven, and we're going to be with him in his kingdom forever. So as is our routine, we're going to partake in communion in just a few minutes. If you are a follower of Jesus in the room, even if you're not a member of our church, we would love for you to partake in communion with us. The broken bread represents his body that was broken for us when he gave his life for us. And the juice that we'll dip it in represents the blood that his broken body was drenched in as he died for us. If you're not a follower of Jesus, this is one of the very few things that we would ask that you not do with us. This is something that Jesus set up in a very sacred way just for his followers, just for his people, as we remember his truth. I'll pray for us and I'll open our time of communion. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. Father, we need truth. Father, there's so much deception in this world. There's so many people trying to tell us what truth actually is, what's true about us, what's true about you, what we should believe in. We're grateful that your truth has withstood the test of time that the grass falls and the flowers fade, but your word will last forever. Thank you for rock-solid truth that we can stand on, God. Will you help us to remember what you say about us? Will you help us to remember what you say and what you tell us about yourself, God? Cause us to be rooted in who you are. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.